0: This week, how far should we go in Libya? Libya needs to get rid of Gaddafi. We're not mandated to assassinate Gaddafi as head of state of Libya in order to change the regime. Absolutely not. It's not allowed under the UN resolution. This is different to Iraq. This is about protecting
1: people and giving the Libyan people a chance to shape their own destiny. The FBS.
2: Sibrek. Headlines.
0: Two British soldiers have been killed in an explosion in Afghanistan. Both served with 1st Battalion Irish Guards and were due to return to the UK in less than a week's time, their families have been told. Britain's warning of the threat of a civilian massacre in Libya as Colonel Gaddafi's forces continue their offensive. The Foreign Secretary, William Hague, says a promised ceasefire was an utter sham. A man has been convicted of a series of rapes and sexual assaults on elderly people over a period of 17 years across South London. Delroy Grant had been dubbed the Night Stalker Police called his crimes awful and disturbing. A man has been arrested on suspicion of kidnapping Sharno Callahan. She's been missing since she left a nightclub in Swindon on Saturday morning. Police have been searching woodland 12 miles from there. And British surgeons are to carry out the UK's first ever face and hand transplant. It's only been done once before in France. Now doctors at a hospital in North London are assessing patients for the surgery. It could be tried on people who've suffered serious burns. That's the latest. I'm Adam Gilchrist.
3: This is the sixth day of international military action over Libya. Since Saturday, British forces and those of countries including France and the United States have been attacking military facilities in an operation which is officially at least limited to protecting Libya's civilians from Colonel Gaddafi's onslaught. But will the world really tolerate his continued leadership in Libya? Regime change may not be the official mandate of this mission, but it's hard to see any other outcome. In this week's SITREP, we'll take a detailed look at what's happening in Libya, what it means for Britain, for our forces, and what's
4: likely to happen next. First, Paul Osborne reports on the events of the past few days. Almost a week now into the offensive and the coalition striking at Colonel Gaddafi's regime say they've made huge progress. Libya's leader, though, remains defiant.
5: Great Libyan people, you are now living through glorious hours. All the people are with us.
0: We will have a revolution against imperialism. And I say to you, I am not afraid. Not afraid of the planes that cause such destruction. I am defiant. My home is here. I am here.
5: I am here. I am here. <laughs>
4: A little over a month after Gaddafi showed the world his determination to put down this revolt against his leadership, Britain joined the nations, intervening in Libya's uprising.
1: British forces are in action over Libya.
4: Tornadoes on a 3,000-mile round trip from RAF Maram struck at targets in Libya. Other jets were moved to southern Italy, cruise missiles fired from the Mediterranean. Now we're told Libya's air defences have effectively been destroyed. For weeks, David Cameron tried to convince other world leaders to back a no-fly zone over Libya, And in fact, the UN resolution agreed last week goes further, authorizing the use of force to protect civilians from Gaddafi's aggression. But does that mean targeting the Libyan leader himself? Not according to the chief of the defence staff, General Sir David Richards.
6: Absolutely
5: not. It's not allowed um, under the UN resolution and uh, it's
0: not something I want to discuss any further.
4: Downing Street seemed to take a different view, suggesting the terms of that UN mandate do allow Gaddafi to be targeted, though maybe not directly. But in an emergency commons debate, the Prime Minister insisted it's for Libya's own people, not outsiders, to remove Gaddafi.
1: I've been clear. I think Libya needs to get rid of Gaddafi. But in the end, we are responsible for trying to enforce this Security Council resolution. The Libyans must choose their own future.
4: Still, outside intervention does change the balance of the internal conflict. Libyan rebels have been on the back foot, and now they sense a chance to overthrow Gaddafi. And Lord West, a former First Sea Lord and Security
0: Minister, can see problems in that. Where the difficulty is really going to come is when we find rebels, for want of a better word... Heavily armed because they've taken over weapons, advancing on Gaddafi's troops. Do we see our job to to keep on taking out the heavy weaponry of Gaddafi? That, I think, is extremely tricky.
4: But for one opposition leader in Libya, Ali Zaidan, the aim is not to kill Gaddafi. They want to capture him. We would like
0: to have him alive to face the international or the Libyan court for his uh, crime. But uh, we don't like to kill anybody if Gaddafi has interests and love to kill the people, no. We, are, we don't like to kill the people, even Gaddafi himself, we don't like to kill him. And the
4: Prime Minister has promised this won't become another drawn-out military intervention.
0: This is
1: different to Iraq. This is not going into a country, knocking over its government, and then owning and being responsible for everything that happens subsequently. This is about protecting people and giving the Libyan people a chance to shape their own destiny.
4: Britain and America want NATO to take control of this operation, and that could be a problem for other members of the coalition, and could threaten the support of Arab nations. That will be top of the agenda at next week's conference on Libya being held in London.
3: Paul Osborne reporting there. Well, John Marks is an expert on the politics and economics of the Middle East. He's recently returned from the rebel stronghold of Benghazi in the east of Libya. I spoke to him earlier and started by asking him about the mood there in the days leading up to the coalition airstrikes.
6: At first, the people of Benghazi were more or less in denial. I think that such was the shock of the overthrowing of the Gaddafi regime in the east. Um On the sixteenth of February, the people were still celebrating even um when towns along the coast rusuf brega Um, started to be rolled over, and the Gaddafi forces moved to recapture the east of the country. And and indeed, people really couldn't believe how bad the situation could become when the strategic town of Ajabir came under attack. And all of a sudden, the mood changed very very suddenly, really, when the the realization Ajabir could fall, that's 160 kilometers from Benghazi, with uh, Gaddafi's motorized forces, they could both capture the eastern capital and also outflank the rebels by going on the desert route route to Tobruk. So all of a sudden, from a feeling of victory came a feeling of defeat.
3: Since then, of course, we've had the coalition's involvement in the strikes, but they haven't stopped Gaddafi's forces pushing back against the rebels, have they? Who's got the, the upper hand now, do you think?
6: What we have to remember is Gaddafi's forces are made up of elite military units, elite militias, Um, the mercenaries, a lot of them from African bush wars that he's kept in his back pocket, and the bulk of the military hardware that that Libya has purchased in recent years and has had stockpiled uh, against them, the rebel army, is is really not an army. There are some members of the, the former National Armed Forces that basically are talking doctors, dentists, engineers, farmers, armed with Kalashnikovs and some heavy machine guns put on the back of trucks. So you have to look at it in that context that citizens' army, if you like, was being rolled back very quickly and very ruthlessly. And the no-fly zone campaign, particularly the airstrikes to degrade the Gaddafi forces, which have taken out tanks as well as air defences, clearly have um, stopped that advance, which would have seen Benghazi and Tobruk fall easily within a week, I would have
3: thought. Politicians here have, of course, said that it's for Libya's people to choose their own future. But would the rebels be strong enough to depose Gaddafi if the coalition strikes stops with him still in power?
6: I think there's no doubt that a large majority of the Libyan population would like Colonel Gaddafi and his family and his regime to go. The problem is that the issue is being decided by arms. And at the moment, much as a majority of the population might like to rise up, um, Gaddafi has a military security regime that, while weakened, um, but first of all by the revolution of um, February and then more recently by the allied airstrikes um, remains robust and in terms of uh, the Libyan struggle within Libya is the superpower. So if the allied Um, If the Allied campaign stopped, no, I don't think that the revolution would necessarily succeed. And Muammar Gaddafi may be able to get his country back, at least for a a brief or or medium-term period, during which time I think you'd see terrible retribution. And he, he would rule by the only way that he could, which would be by force of arms and coercion.
3: John Marks talking to me a little bit earlier. Well, to discuss some of the issues, I'm joined in the studio by our defence analyst, Christopher Lee, and on the line is Fawaz Gherjez, Professor of Middle Eastern Politics at the London School of Economics. Fawaz Gherjez, let's start with you. On this programme last week, you predicted imminent airstrikes on Libya. Have the opening days of the campaign gone the way you expected?
7: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, Gaddafi's military machine has been degraded uh, uh, considerably. Uh, His march against Benghazi has been stopped. His siege of Misrata is uh, basically now uh, uh, quite, uh, uh, I mean, very difficult to sustain. Um, And, of course, the coalition is still striking at the heart of Gaddafi's power base. That's Tripoli and Misrata and Zawiya and uh, Serti and other places. So a great deal of damage has been done. The question, the big question is... Will the opposition be able to capitalize on the damage inflicted on Qaddafi and March against the major towns and cities recaptured by Qaddafi? Will the opposition coordinate its activities, uh, unify its ranks, construct a potent uh, military force? Um, This is really the big question. We lack information, and uh, the jury, I would argue, is still out.
3: Christopher how do we answer that question we've already effectively destroyed Libya's air defences what are the next targets
5: well um, the RAF um, was saying that they have Um, control of the skies. I think they've got, in fact, uh, uh, superiority. They gave the impression that there were no aircraft flying, but the French are saying today that they've just knocked out an aircraft this morning. Um, So they haven't got supremacy, but they may have superiority. So next targets, you then have this difficulty of actually identifying targets on the ground. Uh, Perhaps a planner would be looking at mechanised infantry, because if you want to go into a, a town, a city, the best way of doing it is with mechanized infantry and nothing else. And those are the next targets to consider. It also depends on how, uh, who actually gets to command this whole thing as well. And that becomes a, ty- a very difficult moment. And the permanent representatives of NATO are meeting this morning. They're unlikely to come to any conclusion. And so everybody's looking to the meeting next week in London. They will have to be a very aware that they're actually starting to to bend the, the resolution. The resolution in the United Nations was we have to protect the people but the Foreign Secretary, uh, William Hague is actually having talks almost every other day with Mama Jabril uh, who is the sort of, I suppose the sort of leader of the rebels. So therefore, are we actually working on behalf of the rebels? And a lot of people in NATO are going to say no, that's not what we signed up for. Uh, Fawaz, for uh, do, do you see a, a situation whereby protecting the civilians means
3: troops on the ground?
7: Uh, I hope not and uh, I think this would be a a worst-case scenario uh, for the United States uh, and for the Western powers. The worst-case scenario will be for the West to become embroiled in the Libyan shifting sand. It's a very risky uh, business, very risky venture. Uh, Remember, the UN authorization is to protect civilians, and I think the Western powers, the Western-led coalition, has done exactly that and is doing exactly that by degrading, the military capacity of Colonel Qaddafi. The authorization is not uh, for regime change. And even though President Obama has made it very clear he would like to see Obama, uh, he would like to see Qaddafi go, and he uh, is determined to get him out of Libya. But the reality is now we are, uh, I mean, witnessing a, a civil war in Libya. And my fear is that if the Western coalition takes side, if the West becomes uh, embroiled. Uh, in the Libyan killing fields this would be this could backlash and also would probably corrupt the nascent democratic movement in Libya itself not to mention it might fuel anti-western sentiments in the region as well in particular if casualties take place in Libya.
3: Well the initial phase of Britain's operation over Libya was based at RAF Maram in Norfolk but tornado and typhoon jets have been moved to a base at Gioia del Colla in Italy. Our reporter Tim Cooper has been there through the week.
8: The build-up of RAF planes and personnel has been rapid. When we arrived on Monday night, 10 typhoons were already in place, with 100 ground crew in support. In a short space of time, they were joined by eight tornadoes who'd begun operating over Libyan airspace from RAF Maram in the UK, but then came forward. Joya del Colle is important to the RAF. It's just one hour's flying time from Libya, enabling both Tornado and Typhoon to deploy rapidly to police the no-fly zone or indeed target Colonel Gaddafi's forces. Their flying time over Libya has been increased through mid-air refuelling provided by VC-10 tankers flying out of RAF Akrotiri in Cyprus. There are now 18 planes in operation from Joya del Colle and their effect, it seems, has been marked. Yesterday, RAF Air Component Commander Air Vice Marshal Greg Bagwell visited the base with a clear message that Colonel Gaddafi's air force and air defences have been eliminated.
2: We have had uh, no activity against us from the Libyans. We have effectively negated their air threat and their surface-to-air missile threat. And effectively, we've taken away his ability, his eyes and his ears, to even begin to start to do that.
8: The RAF are, of course, just a part of the coalition assets which have been operating over Libya. From the British perspective, HMS Cumberland and HMS Westminster have been patrolling Libyan waters and Trafalgar-class submarine have been launching cruise missile attacks. Internationally, the US and France have been lead players and air bases across the Med have deployed fighters. Seven nations, we're told, have deployed jets so far. Last night, as we left Joya del Colle, a convoy of equipment and supplies arrived, no doubt reinforcing the RAF's ability to continue operating into the future. Two questions now present themselves. How long will this operation continue? And now that the threat from the Libyan air force is apparently no more, what will the coalition target? US Rear Admiral Margaret Klein said yesterday that the bombing of Libyan tanks and artillery was authorised by the UN resolution, but doing that without civilian casualties could be very difficult indeed.
3: Tim Cooper, reporting from Italy. Well, behind the scenes, the issue of who will take long-term charge of the mission is still to be properly resolved. President Obama is clear he doesn't want the U.S. to lead this operation.
0: I would expect
4: that uh, over the next several days, we will have clarity and a meeting of the minds of all those who are participating in the process. Uh, We're already seeing a significant reduction in the number of U.S. planes that are involved in operations over Libya.
3: Well, NATO could take formal control of the mission, but that could be a problem for other coalition partners and create a rift between the nations who have, so far, backed the operation. It's just one of the issues that remain unresolved, despite the start of military action. Well, Christopher Lee and uh, Fawaz Giorges are still with me. Uh, Christopher, if you would just explain to us, first of all, the problem
5: of putting NATO in charge. What, what problems does that pose to the various people well, the involved? Well, the first thing, did you notice know, what the president was saying there? All those participating, not all, you see, NATO countries are participating. Some, like Germany, want nothing to do with it. They've just withdrawn some of their ships from the Mediterranean area. Uh, Turkey does not like this either. And so it is not a question of actually putting NATO in charge, although mm-hmm. uh, because nobody actually wants that to happen. What they might want to do is the so-called participating nations will... Uh, use NATO facilities the other thing is you've got to bring on the Arab League into this and they're not members of NATO and don't forget who asked for the no-fly zone in at the beginning wasn't America wasn't Mr Cameron it was the Arab League and so they've got to be right in the middle of this so they're part of that meeting which will take place next Tuesday I think uh, with foreign ministers going to be chaired here in London by William Hague Well,
3: we're uh, joined on the line now by The Guardian security correspondent, Richard Norton Taylor. Richard, thank you very much for being with us on the programme. Next week, this summit that Christopher talked about in London um, on the situation in Libya, does it look like there'll be a political compromise to allow NATO to take charge?
1: Well, it seems to be they're shuffling towards a compromise. It depends what you mean by NATO taking charge. I think what will probably happen is that NATO will, all uh, members of NATO will agree that NATO's mechanical assets, if you like, the c- command and control communication systems will be used, but the sort of political and strategic, quote, control, unquote, or policy making uh, uh, will be um, achieved by some kind of coalition of the willing um, contact group, which uh, will be France, Britain, the US, and so on, and possibly some countries, as Chris says, from the Arab League, and even from the African Union.
3: Uh, Qatar, the only uh, Arab country to offer practical help in the, in the shape of planes so far. Should we be expecting more from the Saudis or the Egyptians?
1: Well, it's all very difficult, isn't it? I mean... Um the uh, yeah, the Qatar has flown some aeroplanes, I think, to a base in the Mediterranean and not actually done anything yet, well, nor was the British actually in the moment. I mean, it's a curious thing about uh, it was done quite rushed, the whole thing. What in military terms was it mean? The no-fly zone um, is uh, has been achieved very quickly, but now it's in a sense of no-drive zone. I mean, there are people um, who, uh, I mean, the, the Gaddafi's forces are still k- killing people here and there, we understand. Um, and it really wasn't sort of sorted out properly. I mean, the reason why, as we know, the, the, uh, the, the Germans didn't like it, the Turks didn't want NATO involved, the French didn't want NATO involved for other reasons, and it was all rushed together. Um, and the UN resolution was extremely broad and probably quite a good one for, for, uh, for everyone's purposes, but when it sort of unravels when actually sort of military action starts.
3: Well, another unresolved issue, of course, is whether we're directly targeting Colonel Gaddafi himself. Officially, no, but Downing Street suggested the UN resolution is framed in such a way that we could go after the Libyan leader if that would protect the country's civilians. Well, that's been dismissed by the Chief of the Defence Staff. But Colonel Richard Kemp, who used to command British operations in Afghanistan, is more supportive.
0: My understanding is that um, we, we don't, we, we're, not, we're not mandated to assassinate Gaddafi as head of state of Libya in order to change the regime, but inasmuch as he is military commander in Libya and therefore responsible for ordering forces to attack innocent civilians, um, and, and our mandate is to stop that from happening, of course he must be, a, part of the, must be a, a target for that sort of operation.
3: Well, Richard Norton Taylor, political arguments aside, Gaddafi clearly is a target, isn't he?
1: Well, it's a very, it's a, this is a very important point, because earlier on this week, on Monday, I think, uh, General Sir David Richards, Chief of Defence Staff in Britain, came out, was was sort of hijacked, really, by the BBC, I think it was, and uh, and he said absolutely not, that Gaddafi is not a target, is not a legitimate military target. Now, he would emphasise that because of the concern amongst the British commanders, ever since the uh, invasion of Iraq, actually, to do everything uh, which, is, um, which is absolutely covered by the UN uh, Res- Security Council resolution, and um, but also it's, it, it, they were very concerned. The British military chiefs here um, about the ministers and it, it loose talk, really. As Gates, uh, Robert Gates, the US uh, Defence Secretary, also described as loose talk. you can, you can get um, get out for his legitimate target. Now, if um, as, as some defence sources uh, mentioned to me, if you if you, if you say that, not only is it a legally dodgy assassination and so on, but if you don't. Uh, kill Gaddafi, that means, you, have, you, have you failed in the operation? If you, if you do kill him, that's a premeditated thing, will make it even worse for, as far as Arab opinion, and indeed even the law is concerned.
3: Okay, Richard, Richard Norton-Taylor, we'll say goodbye to you there. Thank you very much for joining us on the programme. Uh, Fawaz, you're, you're still listening. What's the definition of success in this operation?
7: Well, I mean, I think, first of all, the protection of civilians. Uh, Benghazi ha- has been saved. Um, I think, um, at the end of the day, Uh, only Libyans can enact change in that country. Only Libyans can bring about regime change. And I think the big question for all of us, we shall see in the next few days and next few weeks if the rebels really uh, constitute a major potent force in Libya. We shall see if the rebels can, as I suggested earlier, can capitalize on the gains uh, that they have uh, uh, made in the last few days as a result of the Uh, uh, Western-led coalition uh, uh, military drive against Qaddafi. The reality is Qaddafi's forces have been inserted into the urban areas. Uh, The reality is Qaddafi controls about 75 percent of the population. The reality is Qaddafi controls about 75 percent of the land. The reality is even if you destroy his air force, even if you destroy his huge tanks, he still has about 10,000 elite forces that they will fight to the end. The reality is, and this is, I, I, I'm sorry to, to stress this particular point, Qadhafi has no exit strategy. We keep talking about our strategy, the West strategy. His back is to the wall, he's cornered. He's not just fighting for his own survival, he's fighting for his family, for his tribe. And that's why I don't see a way out of this particular. You say, how do we I mean, measure success in Libya? You either have to get rid of Qadhafi. Or the reality is we're talking about a prolonged, a prolonged and costly uh, and risky civil war in Libya, uh, whereby the country will be divided in two parts, the eastern part controlled by the rebels and the western parts controlled by Qaddafi.
3: For Wazir, yes, yes. unfortunately we're out of time, but thank you very much for joining us uh, on the program today.
2: This is BFBS Cigarette.
3: Well, the offensive over Libya has come as defence officials try to tie up the budget for the coming year. Long before this military action was even a possibility, there had been talk of the need to find even more savings, maybe more than a billion pounds. So what impacts will the operation in Libya have? A question Defence Minister Nick Harvey can't answer. It's impossible to say how much it's going to
0: cost because we don't know how long it's going to last, what it's going to entail, what we're going to have to chuck at it. That's in the nature of uh, contingent operations.
3: uh, You know, the, the next few days and weeks will tell. Uh, Christopher, financial planning for the next year
5: is almost done. What impact will the operation in Libya have? Do you think? Well, the uh, PR11, which is happening at the moment, and that's how much you spend this year. It does mean that uh, all sorts of things, which which should have come out of, for example, of contingency funding, will not come out of contingency funding. This is going to cost more. But the military actually are not very bothered about this. The military can turn around to the Chancellor, and it's the Treasury that are fixing the figures this week. They're going to turn around to the Chancellor. And say, You're going to make us cuts? You asked us. We didn't say we were going to liberate. You asked us to do this, didn't you, Chancellor? Didn't you, Prime Minister? And so, to some extent, the the military is going to have quite a big smile on his face. Next year, PR12, another story altogether. OK, well, we will uh, move
3: on now. And away from North Africa and the Middle East, it's been a big week in Afghanistan. The President Hamid Karzai set out plans for Afghan forces to take control of security in some parts of the country. From July, they'll be in control of four cities and three provinces, though most are among the most secure in the country. It's a modest start, but it's progress, according to NATO Secretary-General Anders Fogh rasmussen This critical decision paves
4: the way For Afghans to take charge of their own destiny. This represents the next stage of Afghanistan's journey, not the destination. And every step of the way will be determined
3: by conditions on the ground. Well, our reporter Jeff Mead joins us now from Camp Bastion. Jeff, first of all, what are the seven locations on President Karzai's list?
2: They're quite significant, three provinces, four cities. The provinces, uh, Kabul, or the majority of the province around the capital, Pancha and Bamiyan, both of those have been uh, very quiet, relatively benign as far as the insurgency is concerned. Uh, the cities, though, very interesting list, Herat, mazar sharif and Metalam there in the north, uh, uh, east and in the case of Herat in the west. Uh, but most significantly, significantly, of course, for British troops, Lashkagar, the capital of Helmand, the province which has seen the worst of the insurgency and the largest bloodshed for ISAF forces.
3: As you said there, Jeff, aside from Lashkagar, they're all pretty secure already. It's obviously important this first phase of the handover is, is seen to be a great success.
2: Yes, I think had it gone ahead, had President Karzai marked the Afghan New Year on Tuesday in a speech in which he'd said all these provinces and cities are going to uh, start to hand back to uh, Afghan control from July and hadn't mentioned either the capital or anywhere in southern Afghanistan, of course, where the insurgency has been fought so fiercely, then both his own people and the taxpayers of uh, NATO and ISAF uh, would have said, well, why have we been investing so much blood and treasure over this last decade if none of the areas where the fight against the Taliban has been prosecuted with most vigour are not yet able even to start this process of handing over but we should remember Matt that it's only Lashkar Gah it's not Helmand as a whole and those two are very very different prospects
3: and Jeff away from President Karzai's announcement we've had a reminder today of just how dangerous the situation remains on the ground in Helmand
2: any military deaths are tragic. Uh, today's news, confirmation yesterday uh, that two members of the Irish Guards uh, were killed uh, by an IED which destroyed their vehicle just six days before they were due to return home at the end of their six-month tour uh, does serve as a, uh, a very stark reminder that this is an ex- still an extremely dangerous part of the world. Uh, they, the, the two soldiers were, had taken part in a joint operation with the Danish uh, battle group and Afghan National Army soldiers, uh, that operation had been conducted successfully uh, they'd not only returned to the operating base uh, for that mission but they were on their way from there back to their, their main base uh, actually in the process of handing over uh, to the incoming unit and that's where they were struck by an IED, so uh, a reminder if any was, any was needed that this is still a very dangerous area and that the handing over of Lashkar doesn't mean that, he- that Helmand itself has suddenly turned into a a benign posting, far from it.
3: Uh, And just finally, uh, Jeff, what does this week's announcement mean for British forces practically?
2: Matt, it won't make much difference at all. I think on a day-to-day basis, um, Lashkagar remains the the headquarters of the British-led Helmand task force. It remains the centre of a very important provincial uh, reconstruction team. Uh, It's also a main operating base, so about 600 or so uh, UK troops uh, based there will still be responsible for their own security. The difference, if any, is that they won't now patrol uh, into, into, into the city itself, but they stopped doing that last month anyway. Joint patrols ceased in February, uh, so it will be business as usual. And, of course, all those... Uh, UK and coalition troops that remain stationed uh, in Helmand are only at most, you know, 15, 20 minutes helicopter journey away from Gah. So if there was an attempt by the insurgency to challenge uh, this handover to, uh, uh, to, to, uh, uh, to uh, s- the sovereignty of President Karzai... Uh, British and other troops would soon be on hand to try and deal with that. So okay, day-to-day Jeff. business continues as normal. Okay,
3: Jeff made in Afghanistan. Thank you. Christopher, in the brief uh, seconds that we've got left, uh, sum up
5: this week, what else should we we'll be looking at? Right, just for? one add to Jeff. Two weeks time, more or less guaranteed, the Taliban spring offensive starts. All the rules then are rewritten again. Most important thing at the moment we've got to, uh, got to uh, believe about is, is, uh, is Syria. The president's brother is running the division that shot up the mosque uh, in Syria. Or, uh, and that is very important. If, if Syria goes, a lot goes. And tomorrow they expect more protests, more shooting, more killing. We have to watch that.
3: OK, Christopher, thank you very much uh, to you and to all our guests on the programme today. If you have any views, as ever, you can get in touch with us in the usual manner. Our email address is citrep at bfbs.com. Until now, though, from us here this week, goodbye.